Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick. This is episode number 52 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you by Peghead Nation. Uh, Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old-time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including Beginning Mandolin and Intermediate Bluegrass Mandolin and Bluegrass Fingerboard with Sharon Gilchrist, Bluegrass Mandolin and Jam Favorites and the Advancing Mandolins with Joe K. Walsh, Monroe-style Mandolin with Mike Compton, Melodic Mandolin Tunes with John Reichman, Chord Melody Mandolin with Aaron Weinstein, Irish Mandolin with Marla Feibish, and Theory for Mandolin and Fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. And it's also brought to you this week by Northfield Mandolins. Go to NorthfieldInstruments.com. Let's build more than a mandolin together. And you're going to hear Adam talk about Northfield and Adrian and all the folks over there um, and the incredible stuff that they've got going on. So thank you so much to the sponsors. Uh, one year. I can't believe it. This is uh, this is awesome. I'm so excited. And the next year, starting off with a bang. Uh, I, I can't wait to uh, announce the the next two guests, actually, and, and quite possibly some more two-parters um, with these these people. They got some they, they got some stories, I'm sure. So I can't wait to announce those. And um, if you want to find out who they are earlier and support the podcast at the same time, um, you can uh, go to Patreon, patreon.com slash mandolins and beer. And for four bucks a month, just four dollars, you can support this podcast. Uh, that would be really appreciated. For eight dollars a month, you'll have access to all the video lessons and tabs I've got up there. I've got a bunch of 10-minute-a-day exercises. I've got some tunes on how to solo. actually got a new lick that I just learned, and um, I'm going to show you how to use it over a bluegrass song and why it works. It's a really cool double-stop lick, and I'll break it down and show you. It's actually pretty easy to put that in any key. And also what I'm going to be doing, starting this brand new year coming up of podcast episodes, is normally I announce who the guest is going to be on Tuesdays on Instagram and my Facebook, but I'm going to announce it earlier to my Patreon subscribers. And then if you have a question for that player coming up, I'll have you all submit some questions and I will randomly draw one and ask the player the question. And if there's, you know, if more people have the same sort of question, maybe I can work that into the interview as well. But I will definitely debut one question from a Patreon follower uh, on the podcast, and that'll be starting next week. Also, if you guys have any guests that you want to see on the next year's podcasts, or I'm also going to start doing the track-by-track episodes as kind of little uh, extra episodes on top of the Wednesdays, um, they'll probably be released on Fridays. Let me know what album you'd like to uh, hear your favorite mandolin player talk about, and I'll see if I can't make that happen. So let's try and get that going. So anyway, uh, there's that. You can also go buy some merch at mandolinsandbeard.com. Uh, I've got just a few more hats left, and I had ran out of boxes. The boxes should have been here to ship them um, a few days ago, but now it looks like they'll be here Thursday. So if you've ordered a hat, it will be mailed out by Friday if you have not gotten it yet. I think I have two or three hats left and more on order. They're flying out of here. So anyway, everybody, thank you guys so much for an amazing year. Um, it really helped uh, helped me mentally to get through all this COVID stuff, just getting the nice messages and and uh, seeing all the interactions and, and people enjoying these episodes and talking to some of my heroes. And I'm looking forward to doing it another year. Uh, and I wouldn't be able to do it without uh, listeners. I mean, I would, but it'd be weird. <laughs> so thank you guys so much. And if you don't follow me on Instagram or Facebook, check that out. And uh, let's get into part two with Adam Steffi. I kind of left it off with him meeting Allison Cross, and we'll go back to that question and, and take it from there. So cheers, everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, join me next week for my surprise guest and um, the happy birthday episode, I guess, the one-year-old birthday. Take care. Cheers. So, and how long were you in Lonesome River Band for? I was in the Lonesome River Band for a year, right at a year. 
And then uh, I, I went back. I decided, you know, I'm this close to finishing up my degree. And, I was, you know, like I said, I was probably a sophomore, junior. I forget exactly how many credit hours I had, you know, at the time. But uh, it was along about in there that I, I was I just went back to working part time and uh, and going back to school. I was still playing. We, we eventually put together a group called Dusty Miller. And um, with that group, Tim Stafford and I and Barry Bales were playing together. And uh, just fast forwarding through playing with Dusty Miller, uh, we've had that group for a couple of years. That's when we got to know Allison Krause. And Allison was probably, I first met Allison. She's probably, oh gosh, 14, 15 years old. And fast forward up to when about the time we had Dusty Miller together. And, uh, and she asked Barry and Tim and I to play in her band. And so that was, that was when, you know, I, I left Lonesome River Band in 88. And, uh, Started playing with Allison in 1990, so all that kind of happened in that those couple of years span there. And um, next thing I know, we're it's years and years later, and I'm still playing. So um, it's amazing. It's it it is <laughs> time, man. Yeah. I always heard you hear that growing up, man. It's like, man, you wait, time, you'll see what how fast <laughs> time flies. I feel like this old curmudgeon Archie Bunker cat, you know, that's like, I, I, nah, you kids get out of my yard, but you need to listen to me. You know, but it, it does, man. It flies. It really does. It goes by fast, but man, I, I have loved it. There's been hard times, man, bad hard times, but uh, I've loved it. So then your first album with Alison Krauss is Every Time You Say Goodbye? Yes, sir. Yeah, that was the first one. What is it like to have a lick that is almost like a prerequisite to every mandolin player that enjoys bluegrass music? This is the, that lick is the one. Eventually, somebody's going to tell you you've got to learn this lick. <laughs> uh, oh, the every time you say goodbye, the, the yeah, that, yeah, the little kickoff, yeah. Oh man, that's you don't want to learn that. <laughs> you don't want to learn it because no, you're just going to be frustrated. No. You can't sound like you with it. That's the problem. It's so no, good. man. Well, that we. It's funny because that song came in. We had actually cut that record. Uh, or we had started on an album with, with Allison Brown playing banjo. Uh, and then we had, we were so busy traveling and, and playing and, and stuff that the album about the time that Allison Brown was gone from the band and Ron Block started, we, Allison, we thought, you know, for a time we were saying, well, maybe Ron could go in and put his banjo on, on the, on the album just replaced Allison Brown's with Ron's and Allison had started Allison Krauss had started acquiring all these other songs. And John Pinnell had wrote that song every time you say goodbye. And, uh, so uh, when Allison got that and we started working it up, we went through the, the natural process. Hey, who, what would be best to kick this off? Does it need a kickoff? Uh, should it just start with rhythm uh, guitar or something? I mean, how's it going to, and we started arranging it and we tried it with the mandolin kickoff and it just kind of, kind of stuck. And I never thought anything about it, man. It, <laughs> I just, it just kind of the way it happened. And, um, but that's another one of those, just like we talked, you know, earlier that, uh, that, that folks remember that or notice that I'm, I'm just like, man, that's, that's, that's really cool. It's really cool, but uh, I, I just kind of try to play around the melody, but sort of, you know, do make make note hang, you know, kind of kind of just do slides and kind of let stuff hang out and kind of. I try to make my playing lyrical, if that makes sense. Sure, you know? absolutely. I try to on on a song that tempo. Obviously, if it's you know one of these three chords in a cloud of dust songs you there's, a, there's you got a couple options you can either fan the piss out of it or you can you know you got to do a big flurry of notes just about you know that kind of thing but uh uh the on a song that speed right there it gives you a lot of latitude you know you got a wider playing field that you can you can manipulate notes and uh and play with the 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 phrasing of it you know try i try to phrase it like it's saying 
and playing with Allison, that was another, I, I mark my time as like the Lonesome River Band taught me a bunch of stuff. Uh, all the bands that I've been in, I've, I've, I've I had a different approach to things because I tried, I started realizing you've got to temper your playing around who's singing. Uh, you know, instrumentals will have their moment where you can do, you can go nuts on an instrumental or whatever, but, uh, or, you know, you can really stretch out. But on a vocal tune, man, and especially with Allison, because her voice, she could take it from, she could take it from a whisper to uh, Pearl Harbor. You know, <laughs> it, it, the, she had all the, she had all the, the entire playing field to, to work off of. And so I had to temper what I was doing around the song, the lyric, and, and how she was singing it. And so the eight years I was with her, you know, that was what I tried to do. And so that really, that took my plan in a whole different direction and um, it taught it hopefully for the better. And it taught me really how to, how to try and play and uh, do kickoffs, leads, and especially backup around a vocalist and how to just try to stay out of the way. You know, if you can say it with one note, don't put 25 in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ah, that's great. Especially on those albums. That's, I mean, I've interviewed 51 people. Uh, up till this t this conversation with you and so that album there your those albums with her that you did have influenced so many people in like and again you know a lot of these people uh, be included you come from listen like you said three chords in a cloud of dust which is my new favorite right, saying yeah. by the way <laughs> and, uh, uh, um, it's just it's grit your teeth and hang on man. yeah but you know that's what i was listening to and then you hear this kickoff and it changed for me everything like it's like oh man yeah. it's about so much more than just blazing licks and in the tone it's well. just like and we'll get to that i've got i gotta pick your brain about tone too and um well but, and I, wow. I credit i credit all that tone and, and all that to like what what i was saying earlier about those early albums that i listened to and and the way that the way that dempsey young would approach a solo and how he would he would make it melodic but it was interesting either in the way that he would he would phrase it or in the way that he would syncopate something grisman same thing sam bush same thing doyle lawson same thing all my all my heroes all the people that i listen to and there are so many i'm, I'm just you know i'm just scratching the tip of the the iceberg on you know people that influence me uh that uh, you know but i tried to take a little bit of all that and put it into whatever I was playing. And that's how I still do it. But if I'm, if I'm working up material as I am now for different projects, it's like, uh, you know, how am I going to approach this solo and, and how am I going to make this sound as good as I can? And it, then I started as, as much as all these mandolin players influenced me, I started really listening to other instruments, how that tone, how they, how I, I wanted to emulate that, like Stuart Duncan's fiddle playing how how that how he got that tone and he was using a bow and it was a different approach obviously but the tone and how he would how he would phrase something and dynamically how he would he would make it happen and um then i would listen to jd crow's banjo playing how is he emphasizing a certain thing like is he going to do a big heavy rake on the banjo right here is he going to pinch you know bang don't 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 you know that kind of thing and and what's being emphasized and what's being lightened. And then the way Grisman approached it, as I said, that, that really changed my thought on what a manling could do. You don't have to, you don't have to just absolutely be, you know, doing the hummingbird, uh, you know, just the tremolo all the time. You can use a different, you can use that and then you can go into something else and then you can just do a long, almost like just slide into a note and let it hang out. So I try to incorporate all that, you know, cause it's all important, every, all the different ways of approaching it. And, um, then when I heard, when I heard backup, when I started listening to people and how they were playing behind a vocalist, Jerry Douglas is, I feel like he's the best it's ever been. Oh my you goodness. And just the way he plays behind a vocalist with a dobro is, is just, yeah, that's, that's what I try to, to I try to take all that, not just mandolin players, but I try to take little bits of all that and and hopefully weave it into what I'm doing, but in in a in a way that I can I can make it work. You know, I can't make everything happen like I hear it and like I want to, 
I'm just not able to do it. But uh, there are players out there that can, you know, Chris Steely <laughs> and, and Sierra Hole. And I hear these people like that that play, and I just go, whoa, holy mackerel. That is, it is something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see them and I think, yeah, I, I, no, I don't really play the mandolin. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I just try to, and that's what I would recommend too to other people and players and players that are listening to this, especially young players, just, just take it and, and take a little bit from here and there. And then just sort of, how are you hearing it? How do you hear it? You know, how are you hearing that phrase played or how are you hearing that kickoff worked out? And that's kind of how every time you say goodbye happened, I, I, I noodled around with it, noodled around with it. And I'm like, well, do I want to start it up high? Do I want to slide up to that A string? Do I want to, or the E string rather? I mean, how am I going to walk up to it? Am I going to slide into it? How am I going to, do I want to do it on the low E? Do I want to go second fret, third string and play off of that E note? How am I going to get into it and out of it, you know? And so uh, I just, I started kicking it off. And then as it, as it sort of developed, that's just what was there. And, uh, but the thought that people hear some, you know, 30 years later, are are still 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 enjoy that you know that's that's the that that gives me a lot of a lot of happiness you know and, and actually so long so wrong just like maybe a week and a half or two weeks ago some friends of mine were posting about it on facebook or something like that and just talking about mm-hmm. all the all, just like all, all those songs on there as well that you know it's just again it's just like a, yeah. a master yeah. class in tone and, and playing on that album from you She gave us total freedom to, 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 you know, Allison was not one to ever stand there and go, you play this and you play this and, you know, that kind of thing. It was, we did, she picked these songs that just allowed you all this, all this freedom to roam around, you know, and, uh, and try and figure out stuff and create. And we, we had the, we had the good fortune of being able to take all the time we wanted to get in there and just kind of manipulate and work and kind of figure around on it, you know, and this was, but this was before this, that, that album was cut right before the transition into pro tools. So it was all, you know, we were cutting to, to tape on that record. And, and so, you know, it wasn't like we were, we were taking it home and working on it or anything like that. We just spent days and days and hours and hours. And then we'd come back and recut something because we'd listen to it later on, on the bus or something on the weekend. And, uh, and it just wasn't, you know, it's like we could do that a little bit different or a little slower or whatever. But, uh, yeah, that that the, that material and the material on Every Time You Say Goodbye uh, and all the records that she did, you know, with the Cox family and all the stuff that I, while I was in the group, you know, and played and um, the stuff that we did, I was I was it was just fun to play over that material. And it it, 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 it allowed me to learn a lot about how to play over those type of songs and uh, whether it's grass song real real soft uh, ballad kind of song whatever and so and we did them live so it was fun oh you know? cool was that your first ibma off that every time you say goodbye mandolin player uh, of the year? uh no i i didn't actually win mandolin player of the year until the first one was i was with mountain heart oh um, no kidding yeah it was up in 2000 oh wow Probably I don't, I don't remember, but yeah, it was it was after I was with Allison. I figured it had to be back then because you've won so many. <laughs> I, I was with I was with the Isaacs uh, after I left Allison. I was with the Isaacs for three years, and mm-hmm. uh, it was after I started playing with Lonesome uh, Lonesome River Band, the uh, the Mountain Heart group that uh, I got Man on Player of the Year, and that still is uh, yeah. I I don't understand. I, I, that's that's amazing to me and to have won you know multiple uh that people consider my man on playing uh at that kind of level is uh it's still it's something i don't take for granted i'll just say that
is it 11? Is that the right number? That's what I saw on the internet when I was doing some research. Yeah. Then. <laughs> I know yeah. you won a few. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I mean, it well deserved. It's uh, that's not even well, a stunning number to me. Like eleven for any award would seem like wow. It's, but to me, I'm just like, yeah, of course it's eleven. <laughs> well, no, it's it's I I don't I don't I, I just like I said I just I and I, I I'll I, I'm just honest, man. That's the only way I know how to put it is I just I feel like I just take little bits and pieces from all this stuff and and throw it together and and hope it works. You know, I, I tr ultimately there comes a point, like I'm the ultimate noodle or piddler, I guess, is, <laughs> I guess experimenter or, or however you want to put it, you know, I, I get in the studio and whether it's, uh, you know, when you're working in a studio, obviously you're on a clock. You don't just sit there and you don't want to take up everybody's time. And if you're recording at home, you don't want to sit there and just, you'll never get anything done right. or put out or completed. You know, so, but I would sit if it were me and just sit and tweak on stuff and mess with stuff and tweak on stuff and for, for days, if I had the opportunity, but you, I just had to get to a point where it was like, okay, look, that's good. That, that, that sounds good to me. I'll put it that way. It sounds good to me. And I think it fits what's going on vocally. I think it fits the type of approach that needs to happen on this song. And I, it's not getting in the way of the vocalist or if it's an instrumental, it's I'm, I'm, I've tried to stay out of the way of the other instruments and just focus on supporting them rhythmically or dynamically, all of that. And, uh, and you just have to get to a point, you know, and especially if it's on somebody else's album, like if you've been called in to do a session with another artist, you don't want to sit there and just noodle around, you know, it's like, give me that again, give me that again. Let me try that again. You know, you, you got to do it. And uh, so uh, it's, it's a, it's just been a learning process as I go. And, uh, so you have to get to a stage where you just say, you know, that's, that fits. I kind of, I, I'm happy with that, you know, and just, and then move on. You've done a ton of session work, like your credits on all music. When I, when I was just looking like, ah, oh, just, uh, look at all the albums you've been on. It's, it's a staggering amount of albums. Do you have a, a session that you've done that was really one that you just were like, oh, wow, I can't believe I'm getting the call to do this. Oh uh, man, there's been so many of them. Like, uh, it's, uh, gosh, uh, as far as outside of a group that I'm working with at mm -hmm. the time, uh, working with, um, wow, I, I would, I, I couldn't really say one. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been, I honestly, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be, I hate humble bragging. You know what I mean? <laughs> you definitely don't seem like you're humble bragging at all. Not uh, at all. And so. I don't want, I don't want people to ever think I'm doing that. But, uh, you know, when, whenever I get a call to go play on anybody's recording, mm -hmm. I don't care if it's, if it's a student of mine or if it's, if it's, you know, I've, I've been way, way blessed to, to be asked to play on a lot of different stuff. You know, I played on the Dixie chicks album and, and, you know, I can think of, uh, of names that I've been asked to play on people's albums that are say household names are really, really popular in their field, like country artists, you know, things like it. Carrie Underwood, uh, Dwight Yoke, Clint Black, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I've through doing that, I may have got a call to go do something else for somebody else, but, uh, it's just, it's, to me, it's a, it's a guilty pleasure. It's fun. You know, it's fun to go in and play in the studio. And I, I can get enjoyment out of playing with, uh, uh, like the most local of local groups or the most private of private artists that is just recording for their own family. You know, just, I want to record something and I want some Manlin on it. Would you play Manlin with me on this? Uh, that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, so, so I just enjoy go, I just enjoy going in the studio and it's a, it's a, it's a, People that, that people think enough of what you do to ask you to come in and do that out of all the other people they could get to play on it and of all the other people that I know are available to play on stuff. And when I'm in the studio, they, I try to give it my full attention and my full focus. And I'm, I'm always willing to, to, I'm pliable, you know, you yeah. just have to be able to, if they want it a certain way, you do it that way. And if they, if they want to do a song in C sharp minor, you know, if, if they're wanting to experiment on, okay, we're going to cut, we're going to, you know, we're going to do Foggy Mountain Breakdown in F sharp. 
you know, you just figure out a way to make it happen and, um, you know, just roll with it because that's, they, they have thought enough of what you're doing to get you in there and do it. And, uh, that goes for anybody I've been fortunate enough to be around and perform with or play. And, uh, the recording studio is something that, you know, I, t- I, I take very seriously, but I try to have fun, but, uh, you know, I always try to approach it from how, how the artist that, whoever's record it is how do you want this yeah uh, uh, you know i don't go in and say here i am by god turn that red light on you, know, <laughs> you, <laughs> you just you go in you know i kind of go in with my tail between my legs and say i thank you for having me and let's what how can i help you you know that yeah. kind of thing That's... you can't i don't feel like there's any room and this is getting off on a tangent but uh, uh, I, I there is no room for ego in music and there's too much ego in music, if that makes sense. Yeah, it it's does make sides, sense. <laughs> two sides of the same coin, in my opinion. It's like, you know, you have to be confident in what you do. And when you step up to do it, you bring it and you bring it hard. But uh, I don't think there's any any room for ego in this business because everybody's seen somebody get stopped in their tracks. Mm-hmm. You know, you can walk out a door and break your arm and never play another note, you know. Or you could be, you know, you, you might not be able to sing tomorrow morning. So what's the point, you know? Well, you had a pretty serious injury. Yeah, I did. I, I was, uh, I got to where I couldn't hardly play you know, when I was with, when I was with the boxcars, I, I had a long story short and the medical people out there will understand what I'm talking about, but I had an ulnar nerve in my left arm that, uh, basically it's second only to uh, in sex appeal to the, uh, to the carpal tunnel. <laughs> uh, basically it's like, you know, carpal tunnel will affect mainly your thumb and your index finger and your middle finger. Mm-hmm. And uh, this ulnar nerve, it, basically it, it runs around your funny bone in your elbow. If you've ever whacked that and everybody has at some point, you go, Whoa, man, what's up with that? Uh, but it's, it's my little finger and my ring finger on my left hand got to where they were just numb almost all the time. And so I went, to some specialists and they ran a bunch of tests and ended up getting an operation done down at Vanderbilt, uh, gosh, five years ago, something like that. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it was kind of scary. It really was. Cause I, they told me, they said, yeah, we just, we're going to have to, it was called a, I can't remember what it was called orbital relocation surgery. And basically they just opened up my elbow, moved that nerve around in there. And so I don't know where they put it, but I guess if I, <laughs> maybe if I hit the back of my leg in some certain way, man, it'll, it'll send me into orbit somehow, but, uh, but no, it's, it's as soon as they did the surgery though. And then, and the, the, the nerve block wore off later that day, you know, it was, it was, it, it, it but I had to stop playing for about three months, wow. three or four months. I had to just quit. They told me, you know, you can't, you know, you can't be doing this and doing that. And so I had to take a, like a sabbatical at school from teaching and, and doing lessons and playing and everything. But, uh, uh, thank the Lord, you know, it, 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 it's back to normal now. So I can jam and practice and do play as much as I want. It got to the point of where I remember being at IBMA that fall, I had the surgery done in like January or February, but I remember being at IBMA and we were running over a song. I think we were playing on the award show and, uh, we were just playing one song. And after about, you know, we were backstage just tuning up, warming up and going through, the, but I could only play like 10 minutes, you know, and that I was, I, it would just tingle. It's like, you know, when you, people are sitting with their leg crossed or under them or something, watching TV or something or in a car and you get out and your legs asleep or your foot's asleep. It was, it was, it was that same sensation in my fingers, just tingling. Like people were a million needles poking them and numb on the end. So yeah, I had to look to make a G chord. I was looking, man, wow. which, which fret are these two fingers going on to? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was kind of scary, but, uh, but it, 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 I had had a real good surgeon and, uh, he said, man, you're going to make full recovery. It's going to be great. So he, he was, he was, he was right. He was right. Thank the Lord. Great. I'm glad to hear it. I think everybody yeah, over man. here is probably, everybody listening is probably glad to hear it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm awful thankful. Thank you. Thanks everybody for the, I had a lot of people contact me and a lot of folks, uh, folks, uh, folks praying and thinking about me. So it was, it was, it was great. It was a lot of, it was a lot of worry over nothing. It was all, it all turned out great. Yeah, I know. And I don't want to, your, your, your discography and, and credits are so huge. 
and you know we, we had the the mountain heart and obviously the box cars but i really want to also spend a little bit time to talk about your solo albums because they just blow my mind uh, th- i i have spent so much time listening to all all four of these albums uh, new primitive to me is one of my just all-time favorite albums man <laughs> it, it's well, thank so you. great I love that record, and I, I all of them. I enjoyed, I enjoyed them, but that record there was was really really fun. It was it was it, I wanted to veer off, you know, from just doing a bluegrass album kind of thing, and, mm-hmm. and just get in and play and have fun and freestyle some stuff and do some duet things, do some full band things, do some old time stuff. And uh, but that was a lot of fun, man. It, it really I want to do another one like that sometime. Oh yeah, man. And I love the video. Uh, you were talking about being in the studio, and, and actually, I probably watched the video. There was a little, uh, like a small kind of documentary, a making of that album where you guys are in the studio. Um, yeah, right. That I probably watched on YouTube, like, I don't even know how many times. It was just so, uh, just so cool watching the, uh, and it, it the click you're using, it sounds like a drum, are you, is it like a drum track you're using when you use a click? Yeah, when mm-hmm. I, whenever whenever I get in the studio, or if, I, if I'm just practicing, if I'm practicing using a, a uh, uh, a metronome or a, or a drum machine or whatever. Uh, I, I set it up like that to where it's like a, I like a, a kick drum and a hi-hat or like a snare and a hi-hat, like a boom, 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 that type of effect rather than just having a click, 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 <laughs> right. click. I, I want it to, I want it to double up. I want to double up the, the time signal. Like a, I want it, the, the, the division. I want the division of it to be like, that, 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 that. or if it's if if something's really fast i want it to be you know mm-hmm. like a like a, a double time sure. basically is what i'm getting at and the reason being is if it's say a faster tempo there's no hiding that you know <laughs> it's like if you're if you're getting slow or fast or whatever and you're 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 trying to you've got a note happening for every one of those beats then if it's like da 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 you know you and you'll know you'll know real fast if you're getting ahead or behind you know and so it helps me clarify what I'm doing and get the separation I'm always working on right hand and separation in my notes I want if it's especially faster songs I want each note to have the same uh, you know sustain if it's a slow song you know and and it's if it's just a, a string of notes uh, that you're you're playing. I want to have them separated in such a way that it has a uh, the same, you know, the, the effect that I'm looking for. Right. And so I never set a, a metronome just going click, 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 click. Say it was, you know, 100 beats a minute, you know, like click, click. I, I, I set it up towards going click, 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 like that. Yeah, take that empty space away. Right. You have to anticipate. <laughs> yeah, the slower it gets, there's more room that you can wiggle around and still feel. It can still kind of feel like you're in time, but you're rushing or you're 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 getting late or you're you know you're 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 stutter stepping. You've got room to kind of you know cheat basically and get around it. So I want it to be dead on. I want it to be right on as close as I can get it. And so yeah, and whenever we were cutting that stuff, there's some stuff that we used to click on, and some of it. We just went for it. Like a lot of the stuff me and Zeb Snyder did, the the, the guitar and mandolin uh, just duo things, we just cut it. You know, it's just like we try it and get it. And some some stuff we we click, you know, just so the some of the band things, I think we went back and clicked just in case somebody wanted to fix something later on or something. Your um your first album, Grateful, uh, not not to mm-hmm. skip over that right away, but how what was it like to finally have? Because you play with these, you know, these in these great projects, and then what was it like to put out your first solo album under your name?
Oh, it was it was scary. I just <laughs> I, I I've always been a I've always been a group player band mm-hmm. guy. Uh, I guess is the term, but I, I've just I've never considered myself a a band leader or I I don't you know I just want to I want I feel like I want to be part of the whole you know rather than stand up and wave a flag and say check me out you know that kind of thing <laughs> right and not that not that band leaders do that all of them you know but it's it's like what I'm saying is I just I I want to I, I want to be part of the the offensive line you know what I mean mm-hmm. I just want to be I want to be <laughs> I want to be down in the trenches man just make, making everything happen uh so to put your name out front and say hey guys this is Adam Steffi <laughs> You know, like, no, no, that's not me. And uh, it's, it's kind of embarrassing, you know, but uh, over time I've gotten, okay, I, I feel guilty. It's a guilty pleasure, like I said earlier, doing recording sessions. And it's a guilty pleasure when I'm, I'm able to put together a solo recording because it's like, okay, this, these are songs that I like. You know, mm-hmm. these are songs that a group I may be in, they may like them too, but it's not something necessarily that we would put out on an album. You know, so it's like when I'm able to get in and put some songs together and the label says, yeah, let's let's do a solo thing, man. Let's get get some get the people you want together. And over the years, I've been fortunate to work with great, you know, great studio people and and uh, engineers and uh, record labels that have put out solo records. And uh, and man, it's just it's 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 an honor, you know, to get to go in and do those. It's just like to me, that's like winning an award, you know, when they, they say, yeah, we'll do a record. Let's get people together. You want, you know, let's do it because uh, it's like I, I feel like a little kid, you know, going, ha ha, check this out. <laughs> this is good. Ah, ha ha. This is fun. You know? Yeah. Uh, I stole a cigarette out of my mom's purse, you know, or something. It's like, now I'm going to sneak in the studio and make this record, you know, so it's it's fun, man. I, I love it. I love it. And I try to, the, the way that the, the way I like records to go is I just, I'll, I try to send people what in, that are going to be on the record ahead of time. These are the tunes. Maybe it's something I've wrote. Here's a melody I've got, but you do what you want. I don't, I don't get in and tell anybody to do nothing. I find that's the best way because the records that I really, really like are that way. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it's, it's like you, you have that, like I was talking about Manzanito a while ago, folks have that, that it sounded like all those guys were just like free to, man just do what you do that's why you're here you know Uh, and that makes that makes the best records i think well grateful has and this and this song is probably i don't even know how many times this song has been recorded and it is my all-time favorite version of the song but your version of daybreak and dixie I could probably listen to that for hours at a time and just be like, just the tone and, and it's, and it's just like, this is a great example. I think of, of your playing is, um, you know, it's a quick tune. Um, yeah. and it's, it never loses being tasteful. It never loses tone and, 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 and all that. So what are, what would you approach when you go in the studio and, and stuff like that? How do you approach like a faster tempo song? And, and yeah. you know, what's your thought process behind that to try and, and, and get what you're getting to hear out of it? Well, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier when I'm working with a, with a metronome or a drum machine. I, I, I won't just use the, the click, click, click. I'll double time it. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's, that's the main reason is as, as you speed that up and you're playing fast, especially on fast songs when I'm, when I'm recording them. I try to think of that. I try to think, even if I'm not, cl- I'm, I'm not, cu- even if it's a, it's a song and I'm not cutting with a track, a click track like that. That's what I've got in going on in the back of my mind is that, that double time, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I can, it, it, it helps me to, to think of it in that, that those in, in that light. Right. Because when something gets fast, there's, there's little or no room for error. If you're taking off on a big, uh, you know, notey phrase, you know, if you're just if you're playing a big flurry of notes and not doing like a fast tremolo or a you know a medium temp tremolo over that super fast thing, uh, or sliding around and doing halftime stuff or whatever, or doing some kind of a syncopated thing, 
uh, when you go into a, a big phrase like that, you better be, you better be ready to roll, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so something like, something like that, it can get out from under you real quick. And, and I try to always keep, this is something I work on all the time myself. And I work on it with my students a lot is, is keeping that right hand mo- moving, mm-hmm. keep it trolling. Pick direction is huge. If you get turned around, if you get inside out or upside down, I always call it upside down. Like if, if I'm supposed to be starting a big, fast phrase, most of my phrases, unless it's some kind of syncopated thing, I'll start it with a downstroke, you know, mm-hmm. and end with a downstroke. But if it, if some reason something gets turned around and you got an extra upstroke or you're double clutching a downstroke or something and you get turned around, you really have no chance to catch back up. You know, if something's going 180 beats a minute, <laughs> right. uh, you're like, well, okay. Here we go. I'm gonna have to. I'll, I'll just play "Happy Birthday" until the until the B part rolls around, you know, or something. So you just, uh, I want to be on top of it, and so the only way I can do that is to. People ask, you know, well, how how can I get to where I play fast? And and you just have to do it all the time, you mm-hmm. know, because if I if I take like when I took that time off for my elbow surgery, uh, you know, it took me a while to get back to where I could I could, and I I don't play near as fast as I could as I used to. Uh, if I, if I'm recording with somebody and they're cutting something super, super fast, I got to get a run and go at it. You know, uh, <laughs> I need a lot. I need a 747 runway rather than the, 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 the cub Piper, yeah. but the, the, you know, the, uh, the back in the day, that's all I wanted to do was play fast. That's, that was it, you know? So I played fast all the time, every day. And, um, if it was a fast song, I was going to try and learn it. You know, I got so consumed with speed there for a long time. And then, um, you know, I, it just over time, I just, I, I realized you can like, a you can say as much with a lot fewer notes, you know, it doesn't have to be fast. And, uh, there's a time and a place for that. And those songs are fun, but you, you, you can't, you can't, man cannot live on cheesecake alone, I guess. <laughs> Correct. So, yeah. So as much as I love it, you know, I don't, I can't eat it all the time, but, uh, but you know, it's, uh, it's, it's something that I try to approach it with. I want, if it's 180 beats a minute, I want it to be just as clean as if I'm going to play at 110 beats a minute. And I want to be, if I'm figuring something out, I want to be able to play it at either one of those tempos and have it clean and have it at the right dynamic level, you know, and have the same effect. You know, it's like we were talking about every time you say goodbye earlier. If that song had been 30 beats a minute faster, I would want it to have that same effect. You know, and that's what I go for. And if it's Daybreak and Dixie, however fast that was, I I want it to be I want it to be just as clean if I'm playing at half that speed. It's just so clean. It is. It's it's inspiring. <laughs> that's my approach. Is if I'm able to play it at 120, and then all of a sudden somebody wants to do it at 140, I don't want to have to take one note out of it. I want it to be just the same, but I want to be able to to do it just that fast. And um, so that's kind of the approach I take. If I'm writing a song and it's eventually going to end up fast, a fast instrumental, I try to play it slow first. And then if I if I speed it up and, I, and something's not working melodically about it or pick direction wise or something, then I start paring it down. Then I'll take I'll take some edges off of it. I'll take maybe a lick, a few notes here or there out of it until I finally settle in on it to where I can pull it off and make it happen. You also uh, I have I have your DVD. Which is if if some if whoever's listening out there doesn't have that the, your instructional DVD, it's well worth the money. It's so good. And one of the things I was really surprised about was um, how how hard or how soft you actually seem to play, um, mm-hmm. because you have such a yeah. huge tone to me. And 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 thank goodness for this instructional video because one of the things I think people might. I, I happened to me anyway is your tone so big it just sounds like you you had he's got to be playing so hard and it's like mm-hmm. oh no it's all about technique <laughs> yeah i try to never think about uh, i may have talked about this in the video some i can't recall but uh, i try to think i never think unless i'm playing rhythm and mm-hmm. i'm playing like straight bluegrass chop rhythm i never think of slapping at a string I'm always, uh, I think of it, uh, it's kind of like you're pulling against it. You're tug, uh, tugging at it a little bit with the pick. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I don't think, especially when I'm playing uh, a, a mid-tempo or a slower song, especially something uh, saying every time you say goodbye or, a, a, you know, a, a, say you're playing a, a slow hymn 
melody or something. You know, if you're playing Circle Be Unbroken or you're playing whatever that's, you know, say 80, 90 beats a minute. If I'm playing those kind of songs, I'm thinking of it like my pick is just going to glide off of that string. I'm not, whether it's a downstroke or an upstroke, I don't want to think about ever slapping the string, right? you know, or, or anything like that. I want it to just kind of gently pull off of that string and then come back up and pull off of it the other direction. Uh, so I, I, and I, that's just the way I always, and I, I use the point of a pick. I use a teardrop shaped pick, but I use the point. Um, I know I've tried and tried to use rounder picks, you know, like a Grisman pick or, um, uh, some I think different people use different rounded shape picks or real soft edge picks, but I always use the point. Like right now, the pick I'm using is the I want to say the model it's a blue chip. I want to say it's an IBJ 55. It's got uh, if you've ever seen a Wigan pick, it's like those. They've actually put pre-drilled holes in it, like oh, five yeah. holes mm-hmm. to help with the grip. They have some jazz picks that look like that as well. Blue chip does, but uh, this one is kind of in between one of the small jazz picks and the large jazz pick. Oh, okay, yeah. But, but it's really, I love it because I'm a point guy, and the, the you know the blue chip material will it lasts you know almost forever. Um, but that that sharp edge on that point allows me, and I've always used the point of a pick. And if they start wearing down, I would I would sharpen them back up, you know. But uh, the these blue chips will hold and they'll hang out and they'll keep that point on them. And so it allows me to, at higher speeds, I'm way out on the end of that point, you know, and I turn the pick down, meaning it's, it's sort of angled yeah. going down a little bit. So it helps tone wise. You're not, I, I never hit a string straight on, like with the pick, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's not just, it's not parallel with the string and then you pluck it and then you come back the other way. It's always sort of gliding across it. So, uh, that's the way I try to approach it. And if I use a round pick, I can use it on slower songs and it's great. But if, if I'm using anything that's gets above say 110 or 120, uh, speed wise, mm-hmm. I get real sloppy because <laughs> I just, I'm so used to accustomed to, uh, muscle memory, I guess, just getting way out on the end of that point on that pick. But I, I miss, I miss, about 60 percent hit about 40 so (laughs) so i end up putting it back in the case and getting the getting the point of pick out again yeah speaking of gear while we're talking picks and stuff what is your current what's your current favorite mandolin i mean we'd have to do we'd have to do two episodes probably on on mandolins (laughs) oh man i love it i love it i would i i I would have one of every mandolin ever made if if i could and who wouldn't i mean why wouldn't you but uh, anyway yeah, I, I I I have been fortunate over the years to have a lot of a lot of really good man. I've never had a vintage axe. I've never had an old Gibson as much as I would love one. Uh, but the uh, the mandolin I've been playing here, the, the the Northfield. I've got several Northfields, but I've got a Northfield that they made for me prior to my surgery on my elbow, uh, and it's it's actually got a a really wide neck on it. I mean, wider than the three uh, sixteenths next, you know, that a lot of mandolins will have the one and three sixteenths. This one's a one and a quarter. Uh, so it's, it's almost parallel from the, from the, the end of the fingerboard at the, where it meets the body up, at, up to the, the peg head. So it's, it's really super wide and the, the fingerboard is scalloped, meaning in between the frets, it's, it's scalloped like a lot of electric bass players will do that, I think, or something. But the reason being, Adrian Bagel up at uh, Northfield, who is just a, he's a top flight, super, super guy. And he's been, I've had several Northfields. I was, I was, I've had them since they really started making them, you know, several years ago. But uh, man, that's just, he's such a, such a cool guy and not afraid to, to experiment. And I told him what my issue was. And he said, well, they'd had a guy order a mandolin several years uh, prior to that, that, uh, was having some arm issues or hand issues. And, uh, he had that wider neck and he said, we could actually try this scalloping the board out. So anyway, long story short, that's the ax I've been playing a lot here, here in the last little bit. That's I also cool. have a, I've got a, a Collings mandolin. The guys down at Collings are just super this, uh, the, I've got an MF five B that is just, it's one of the most stable mandolins I've ever played. It's just, it's, a, it's, it's like a, it sounds great. And it's, it's just, a terrific mandolin i've done 
several recordings with it, you know, and, and different sessions and things like that. But by stable, I mean, it's, it's not temperamental as far as it's like, it's like a, a Sherman tank, man. I mean, you can play it, you can play it and it's hot outside. You can go and play inside of a cold environment. It's, it's not temperamental as far as, you know, flying out of tune at all or anything. It's just really stable. And the intonation is just like, you know, all calling stuff. It's just dead on. And so, uh, it's killer. And I've got a, uh, I've actually got a, uh, Oh, uh, uh, I've got the North fields. I've got that. And, um, those are, those are the two I've been playing a lot here lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also got a Pruka, a Pruka mandolin. Oh, that yeah, he, yeah. He's, he's known for his banjos, but I've got a Pruka mandolin that is just a, man, it's a, it's a beast. Real bassy, you know, just a real chunky man one, man. Killer, killer jamming man one really is. That's but awesome. I've used to, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm not one of these guys. I tell people, you know, I'm not one of these guys that's just, this mandolin is my mandolin and it's Excalibur. You know, this is the, <laughs> the, the last mandolin I will ever play. You know, I, I, I love them, you know, and so I'm always kind of tinkering and messing around and, and looking at different mandolins and trying different mandolins and, um, that's uh, like I was talking about the Northfield, all the guys at Northfield, they, they've entertained me with that. Like, you know, yeah, we'll try that. Or yeah, what are you hearing? Or what, what, what you know, I love that the experimentation and, and the, the trying it out, but keeping it very traditional, you know, as far as the look and the feel and everything like that, it's, it's great to work with those guys. And uh, they're also, they're also a sponsor of the podcast. I had Adrian on, uh, I'm not even sure when, maybe a a month and a half, two months ago now. And it was that guy. I was, it's so inspired by talking to a guy about his passion. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff, man, the first time I met him, I was like, I was like, wow, you know, this guy is, he's, He's deeper into mandolins than I, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, right. and he's just he's just and every everything they do is just it's it's you know they they are so so passionate about it and into it and and not afraid you know to kind of ch- twist things and check things and try stuff and um, thank goodness they're there because they they just you know they they are just terrific and uh, and they've been really really helpful to me. And we experimented around and with this man on, and I, I still, I, I love this axe and, uh, it, it just plays, it plays great. A lot of people wouldn't like it. A lot of people wouldn't like the neck. I'm interested that scalloped neck. That's, that's wild, man. But there's definitely, obviously some advantages to that. I mean, there's some guitar players that do that scallop them even just up higher, you know, sometimes like yeah, right. 15th yeah. down and to. I never thought about it. Now I don't even think about it now. I don't even, I just, it's like, I just play it, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you it the the idea was that you wouldn't have to to put as much pressure there wouldn't be as much resistance mm-hmm. like if you're running low action and you're pressing down you're hitting that fingerboard and so anything and this was all adrian man this was all the northfield guys you know it's like man if we can eliminate as much of that anything that's causing any tension in your fingers you know or any any resistance at all let's see if we can eliminate that and make it help you know Eventually, I ended up having to go and do the surgery, but I think using that mandolin, I played it in the white for a long time. I didn't even have any finish on it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I played it there. I I think I played it over at IBMA that year I was talking about where it was getting pretty, pretty rugged, but I had that mandolin and and they were helping me, you know, experiment around and trying to make it work, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I still, I love, I didn't change a thing when I, when I, when I got the surgery done and everything, I was like, yeah, man, I'm good. But like I said, I, I, I like to bounce from mandolin to mandolin. And one day I might feel like, you know, man, I'm going to, I haven't played that one in a while. I'm going to play that one, you know, today. And so, you know, I'll play it for a few weeks and then I'll get the Northfield back out and then I may get the, get the Pruka out. So, uh, but yeah, it's, I, there's good, so many good mandolins out there, man. I it's just crazy. Yeah. It's like, I, I just want to, I want to, I just love mandolins and sitting and trying different ones. You know, everyone's got a different thing. Some of them may have, One's got a killer D string. One's got a killer high end. One's got a really clear, you know, mid range. That's just, it's funny. 
I love I love this stuff too. By the way, I just like like the nerdiest stuff, and I was just so happy right now. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I, mean, I, I know a, exactly I'm, what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I, it, it's always fun to be around, you know, like a like at a at a workshop or something, because it's the, for that hour or two or that week of camp or whatever, mm-hmm. you can just totally geek out. Yeah, like, yeah, man, mandolin, 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 picks, picks, strings, strings. You know, you just yeah. So, but yeah, speaking of that, what kind of strings? Uh, I, I have, I have been using Diodario strings since, holy smokes, man, probably since I was with the Lonesome River Band in the eighties, um, probably, well, Diodario for sure. That's, that's the brand I've always used. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've used different ones over the years, the phosphor bronze, the ones I'm using now. And I'm, I just love them. I, I don't think I will ever change unless they quit making them as the nickel bronze. The uh, like the medium gauge nickel bronze. I I love the the feel. The the they last as long as you want them to really. And uh, and so I I use a medium set of those, like an 11, 15, 26, and a forty one maybe or a forty. I think I I should have wrote it down. I just <laughs> have used I've used that set so much that that's just that's I yeah yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's, that's cool. I've experimented with every different kind of gauge, you know, I've tried heavier, I've tried lighter, I've tried, you know, but I always end up with that kind of setup, you know, mm. I like a 16 on an A string, but I, I can use a 15 or a 16 either one, sure. but uh, some mandolins just, they play better if you've got a, a, a heavier, like a heavier A string on it, but uh, A strings like a B string on a guitar, the way I understand it, that's always the that's the the fickle <laughs> the trouble uh, yeah that's the trouble there's your trouble right there is that the people say a b string on a guitar is irritating uh to try and get just right you know but uh a mandolin really shouldn't work if you think about it but uh you know i've, I've said many times i want to meet the fellow that decided to put eight strings on one and we're going to tune them in pairs and string them up tight as a tight as a drum head and yeah, you'll stay in tune. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just gonna smack him right in the mouth. And we're gonna play know? it outside at festivals. This will be perfect. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like out of thirty some odd years I've been playing out on the road and professionally. That uh, I think probably at least twenty nine and three quarters of those years have been spent tuning the mandolin. So one, yeah. of my, one of my favorite things I've ever heard David Grisman say is I have a, a old bootleg of him and Sam Bush doing a workshop together. And mm-hmm. um, they're talking that well, they're tuning, and Sam's like, ah, you know, tuning mandolins. I've never had a mandolin stay in tune. And David Grisman's like, oh, I got one. He's like, it doesn't have any <laughs> strings on it though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he is he's exactly right. Believe that. You know how it is. It's just, uh, but you know, it's hey, it's part of it. And once you get an axe, that's the thing, man. I used to be like, uh, now if I, if a mandolin is stable and it's it's it'll it it's real true man that means that means a awful lot because mm-hmm. i have i have fought so many great sounding instruments but you just can't play them you know it's they might they might have a the sweet sweet tone that you're looking for in your invisible mind you know that that, that feeling that you get but man if you can't stand up and play more than one song without having to, to completely retune it that gets aggravating man and you can't use it. You can't use it live. It's useless. Yeah, you know? it's the old music store falling in love at the music store and falling out of love on stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I played a mini in a in a store that I'm like, man, this is this is the thing right here. And then and then you might try and play it on a show, and no, no, that's not not no no. Once again, I have been proven wrong. <laughs> well, Adam, I got two more questions for you. And, okay, um, and, uh, and we'll wrap it up, but this has been, this is like a dream come true. I'm pinching myself still. This is, uh, oh, I, I, I never thought I'd be talking to one of my heroes for sure. And, and that you're just so cool. Well, <laughs> you're D- Daniel, you're very, very kind, man. And it's been, it's always, it's my pleasure. Anytime. anytime. Oh, thanks, man. Well, let's, so this next one is, and it's the, my, it's the number one responded to question that I get emails about is everybody's favorite. It seems. And it is, if you had 10 minutes a day to recommend something to do for someone to get better at the mandolin, what would you recommend them to do today? Oh, uh, work on your timer and your right hand, uh, just to pick control. Um, uh, it's like I was, I was talking, you know, throughout the, throughout our time together, uh, man, timing is, is big. 
and really the timing and dynamics of how you play, not just meaning, am I playing loud or soft? You know, how you can manipulate with your right hand with the pick. It's most everything is driven with the right hand. And I have found in working with all these students over the years that, uh, you know, the, 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 the right hand, the left hand can outrun the right hand. A lot of people think, you know, well, how do I get my fingers to move and how do I get the fingers on my left hand or my right hand? If you play left handed, how do I get my, my fretting hand to move fast? And it seems like 99.9% of the time that'll outrun what's going on with the pick. If you get tangled up with your right hand, then your timing is going to get off and your tone is going to suffer. So work on your right hand. And it doesn't have to be with a metronome, metronome or drum machine. Preferably, you know, if you could, if you can take time and do that, just work on single note downstroke, just take one string open. You don't even have to put your left hand on the instrument. Just go down, up, down, up, down, up with on one string and play the, play that with separation and with timing and, and then maybe add another string down, down, up, up, down, down, up, down, up, down, up, back and forth across the string. Just different little exercises that uh, they can they can be the simplest thing in the world. It doesn't mean you have to just sit and play them until you 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 pass out on the floor and drool, <laughs> you know. But but I work on that, you know. When I get my axe out, that's the first thing I start doing is I don't run through a whole bunch of scales and arpeggios and stuff. I probably should, but uh, you know I, I just work on the right hand. Get the get, once that right hand gets loose and comfortable, it's going to free that left hand up to hit the notes that you're hearing, and and you know experiment with with how you're going to work with the left hand. But ultimately, you want to synchronize both, obviously. But, you know, the right hand, it, it controls so much, you know, of what's going on. So timing is crucial. Uh, if you're rushing and dragging, it's going to be real hard for you to play with anybody in any situation. So tempo and timing are crucial. But, uh, you know, uh, what you're doing is going to be coming from the right hand as far as that's concerned, or you're picking it. So, uh, so learn to manipulate that pick and how to operate that pick in your 10 minutes a day. And it's going to, you'll reap a lot of dividends out of that. That's great. That's great advice. You're getting right from the source here. <laughs> well, no, man, no, that's just, I just, all I can tell people is how I try to, how, how the stuff that helps me, you know? Yeah, for sure. I try to think about to keep, to keep, to keep things flowing along. And then it is mandolins and beer. And so the final mm -hmm. question is, do you have a favorite beer? <laughs> Man, I ain't never met a beer I didn't like. <laughs> but no, no, seriously, I like IPAs. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. Uh, there's a, the, the current one I've been getting a good, uh, you know, I've been, I've been enjoying here the last, you know, probably six months or so. There's a, there's a, there's a brewery called the Devil's Backbone, oh, I believe yeah. it is. Yeah, and they've got some IPAs that are just a lot of people don't dig IPAs because it's, you know, it's like too hoppy or it's too this. And I'm not a I'm not a beer snob. I'm not like, oh well, if it doesn't have the proper zest of this or <laughs> essence of that or whatever, I, you know, I'll I'll sit down and drink a natural light just as quick as I will, you know, some kind of a award winning micro brew from you know uh, Upper Portland, C you know, or Seattle or something. But it's like I, I'll you know whatever really. But if I have, if I have a choice, you know, I really like IPA because I, I like a little bite and a, a little something there. I don't really like get into porters and real heavy. I love Guinness stout now, man. I've had my share of those when I've been in Ireland performing and stuff, but, um, but yeah, I love those, but like as a general rule, like porters and really thick, heavy things, you know, like it's, it's, that's a little too much, but, uh, but yeah, a good IPA, man, I'll, I'm there. That's great. Love them too. <laughs> oh, man. Well, next time you're, uh, if you, uh, if, if they ever have shows again where people are involved and you find your way oh. down in Charleston, man, I will, uh, I can show you a couple of really good breweries while you're down here. I got some great IPAs. I'll buy you a round of IPAs. All man. right. Well, we'll I'll buy you the second round. Sure. <laughs> okay. All right. And then we, and then we'll have three or four more and then we'll pick. That's right. And we'll pick be, after we, it'll Uber. be magical. <laughs> it will, yeah. <laughs> we'll just, we'll busk on the street and then we'll Uber back as safely. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Daniel, thanks so much, man. Adam, thank you. It has been a pure honor. Uh, it's, it's been my pleasure, brother. And you all, you take care down there and stay safe. And I appreciate all your listeners and, uh, 
And man, tell anybody that wants to to just contact me if they'd like to work together sometime, and I'll be glad to we'll set something up. Absolutely. Well, there you have it. 52 episodes in a row. Full year of podcasts with some of the greatest mandolin players out there. Going to start up a whole nother year starting next week with some great players. I have three crazy cool interviews lined up between the weekend and Monday next week. So thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to uh, contact Adam if you want to sign up for some lessons. Talk to you all next week. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.